0: When I was fighting, my mantra was, "What would Frankie do?" Frankie Edgar, you know, a tremendous fighter, tremendous human being, mentor to me, friend to me. I mean, he was it. You, 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 Frankie, did everything that anyone should ever do to be the best, and that was my standard. That was it. My, what would Frankie do? Would Frankie get up and go? Yeah, then get up and go. That was it. So my standard is Frankie Edgar, which is like a really high stinking standard.
1: There's been a common theme in the conversations I've had with men lately, and it's a pattern that I've observed within myself over the years. There's this tendency to look at other people, to pedestal other people who maybe have achieved some level of success. Maybe it's in the business world. Maybe it's in their health. And as a result, while there are beautiful things about having models for what's possible out there, it becomes detrimental when we lose our sense of self and we give away our power, when we pedestal these people and, forget. forget that they are human too. In these conversations, I've had the pleasure of working with some very high level people and it continually amazes me and humbles me just how human people are when we have real conversations, which is why things like the Men of Movement retreat that is happening November 10th through the 12th in Mount Shasta, California, that is why we do what we do. So men can come together to support each other, to hold each other, to realize that we're all trying to figure this thing out together and we do so with that intent and we engage and practices like somatic release breathwork, sweat lodges, and we do things that challenge our comfort zone, we really realize how similar we are and how much we can learn from each other's life experience. If you want to join us at the next Men of Movement Retreat, go ahead and click the link in my bio and I'll talk to you soon. Welcome to The Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath. Put one foot in front of the other and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we're bringing on Charlie, the Spaniard Brenneman. Now, Charlie is a former UFC fighter that I got linked up with from Kyle Kingsbury a few years back. And in this time, we've developed a deep friendship. And I just appreciate so much the work that he's doing with today's youth. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a podcaster. And in today's episode, we discuss his personal story, some of the struggles he's faced over the years, the mindset shifts he's needed to make, and also his experience of being a parent. Let's get into the show with Charlie Brenneman. I keep telling Lauren that I'm trying to bulk up, trying to put on some pounds but man it's uh it's the continual you know for me it happens in waves you know since still to this day since we've had multiple conversations around this in the past since i've stopped competing and you know i still train and stuff like that but it's just not at that level and so much of my life was built around my training when i ate how much i ate and it's it's this continual evolution especially now being a father to find a new set point
0: yeah and also I felt that way too, because like I said, I'm, no exaggeration, nearly every single, there's let's just say three to five people in my life, every single time I would see them, every single time, could be, I haven't seen them for four months or I haven't seen them for two weeks, every single time, dang, you look skinny, man. And I'm like, wow, I weigh the same. I've weighed the same for the last four years. I don't weigh any different. I don't look any different. So for a while, I let that eat at me and think, oh, I got to beef up. I got, and I tried for a while. And I probably even talked to you about it year, years ago, three, four years ago. But now I just feel like, why? So you hear about people losing weight or or looking a certain way, right? But maybe they do it the wrong way, right? Maybe they are on a medication that or uh, pills or whatever that burns fat. Maybe they're starving themselves. They look good, but they feel like crap and whatever. So I just figure I'm going to do the routine that I like. And then I'm going to look how I look. And hopefully those two things mesh out. You know, if I got too soft, obviously I, that, that wouldn't be working. But if I'm doing like, I mean, you helped me a lot, but I, I, my lifting is a lot of body weight stuff, a lot of high intensity stuff, kettlebells, maybe one traditional lift a week with dumbbells. And then I run a couple of times a week. So I look how I look based on that. So that to me is, I don't really feel a need to beef up because... The way I train is dictating the way I look. I like how I train. Yeah, I like how I look. So then that's my kind of set point, I guess.
1: The last time that we had spoken briefly, I think either via text or on a phone call, you were saying you've been really happy with your conditioning program lately. So I'm curious, with the way that you're training now, how different is it from five years ago, from 10 years ago? Is it something continually evolving? Or how long have you settled in this new way of training for yourself?
0: It definitely has evolved in that I've learned new things. And that's a, I mean, with anything in life, people just get to a point where they're really busy. They have a lot going on and they just don't have time to do or try anything new, right? Like you don't learn language, you don't learn new skills, et cetera, because you're just in the routine. A couple of years ago, whenever you were putting out your kettlebell courses, you gave me access to them and I used them. And I legit, dude, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours learning proper kettlebell form and technique. I I had swung a kettlebell forever but never correctly. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know any of these like um uh not uh key points or targets but the, the the cues, right? I didn't know any of them. I learned that the Bulgarian bag opened up a whole new world to me and I've added it onto the stuff I've always done and I've created my own stuff. I've settled into a spot. It's it's I guess kind of similar to how I trained when I was fighting, when I was wrestling. But It's also its own thing. It's like 40-plus-year-old Charlie, this is how I live. And it's pretty intense. It's a lot more intense than a lot of people, but it's what makes me feel like a fighter because I used to be a fighter and I like walking around with that confidence. So I don't box and do Muay Thai and all that stuff anymore. But the strength and conditioning side of it is probably 60 or 70% the same as when I was fighting. And then I've evolved at 30 or 40 percent to like this new me, where I'm at in life, what I want to look like, what I want to be like. But it's still pretty intense, you know. I I watch a lot of guys, obviously you, Marcus Philly, Primal soldier Athlean X. You know, I I watch these fitness guys online, and I hear often how I'm probably doing too much, I'm probably <laughs> doing too many reps or too many this or that. But I don't care because I like how I feel, and Again, I like how I look. So to me, it's all, it's all balancing out.
1: Oh, man, that's so funny. If you were to think back when you were fighting, so like at the peak of your athletic career and your competitive career, now you have a background as a wrestler, which is maybe of so many sports out there, like one of the ones that value strength and conditioning a lot, at least in my experience. I'm curious, if you were, were you doing a lot of strength and conditioning as we know it today back then when you were fighting? Or not, and how much, if that was the peak, if that's a 10, where are you at right now in terms of your intensity and training?
0: Yeah, the strength and conditioning. So there's like growing up, doing 10, 8, 6, benching a shit ton of weight. Like my buddy and I, my my best friend and I was like, we weren't exclusively bench pressing, right? But that was so important to us was bench pressing, how much you can max. And then and then I go to college. And at college I'm I'm under like world-class wrestlers, Kerry Colat being the the primary one I'm thinking of. And that's when I got introduced to like um, 30-second on-off, 30 seconds of work, 30 seconds of rest, 30 seconds of work, 30 seconds of rest, just priming your body and your brain to be able to go that hard. And then when I got into fighting, it was a further evolution. My strength coach back then, who has since passed away, who was one of my best friends, Don Messing, He taught me some technical stuff, some, some technical lifts and, and some body weight movements that I never knew of. And then post fighting, I, you know, get to know guys like you. And like I said, Primal Soldier and Athlean X and all these guys, um, strength side and, and Aaron Alexander, I'm like a, I love learning in general. (laughs) I especially love learning about training and nutrition. So it's been a continual evolution and I feel like where I'm at now I'm probably in an execution and a little bit of learning. Whereas two years ago, three years ago when I was going through that kettlebell stuff, man, it was like, learn, 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 learn.
1: Yeah, there comes a point once you've immersed yourself enough with the material that it's time and you're practicing all along the way, but then it's time to actually give it some space and put in your own reps. And like you were saying, come up with your own routines. Uh, And I think so much at least how... I mean, everyone's got a different way they like to learn. But for me, when I immerse myself as much as I can, and then I take a break from it, come back a month later, three months later, six months later, it always surprises me how things land differently, whether it's in a movement setting or not even in a movement setting. And I always appreciate you, how fucking dedicated you are to learning, but not just learning. like You are and I mean this in the best way possible in my experience, a fucking grinder. Like you stick to things, and I think that is so necessary in today's world. And I know you work a lot with kids. And a question that I'd love to hear your take on is, in your experience, how do you foster the discipline that is so needed and so missing today? And even how do you foster just some grit and toughness in kids? Um yeah, I'll let you take that away.
0: Yeah. So I appreciate the the compliment there. And I, I really do think it's what I'm best at is just grinding, just getting back up, just keeping going. And that's like a controllable, that's a, a definitive choice that you have that I have is to just stick to it. I don't understand falling off the wagon. I just don't understand it. And it yeah. creates some like uh, conflict in my personal life. You know, because my wife doesn't operate the same way I operate. So I've been told more than once I have no empathy, right? And and it's not that I have no empathy, it's that I don't I don't understand. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand how you can't get up and do it. I don't understand how you can't make the choice to do the thing. So I have to learn, okay, not everyone is is this. Not everyone's a former wrestler and fighter and operates like mm. this. So I have to like backtrack and am actively employing that empathy, right? Uh, but with kids, so I I speak in school as I do school assemblies and meet and greets. And I tell my story. And it took it took kind of mentorship through professional speakers and friends, um, namely Mark Merrow, who was a WWF superstar back in the day, mm. who does school assemblies as well. And I used to feel really kind of like, Uh, self-indulgent by telling my story, you know, because I thought like, I'm just talking about me. And that's like, so uh, icky kind of. And he and another friend of mine, Steve, who was in marketing, they were like, just tell your story. There's value in your story. Obviously related to the kids' lives, related to middle school and high school, but tell your story because that's the value. That's the thing that I've earned that allows me to do what I do. So sharing my story, small town, Wrestler, I deal with a lot of doubt. I deal with a lot of insecurity. I deal with a lot of worry, anxiety, to the point where I have like nervous twitches and all kinds of stuff. Aiming for the stars, working, winning, losing, being embarrassed on live television, getting hated on social media, and and telling that to kids—just telling it. Just the value is in the telling, right? You see a movie like Forrest Gump or like uh, Gladiator, or I mean, it. The value is the movie. The value is the story. So. That's part of it is sharing the story, showing kids that, hey, this big, tough, cool fighter that you see is actually just a regular person who cries and worries and is afraid of a lot of stuff. That in itself pushes a button that makes them want to share as well and kind of ease off the pressure. Beyond that, I create material content like young reader books, a student podcast. I update my YouTube every so often with videos. So it's like telling the story providing ongoing resources for them to read, listen to, learn with. And then the last part and possibly the most important, I encourage kids to follow me on social media and it's not to inflate my numbers. It's so I can provide a path, right? The path. I can provide a path for them to follow. Like this is, this is it. This is how I, I, I live. And this is what will give you the tools to never give up as well. And it still feels a little self-indulgent posting workout, it's in this like I feel like ugh I feel gross doing this but it, I'm honestly doing it to show kids this is what discipline looks like. This is what dedication looks like. You want to go from here to there. This is how you do it.
1: Charlie, first off, one, fucking love what you're doing. Second, why kids? Why why did you choose of all the the people or the all the groups <laughs> that you could work like why have you dedicated your
0: life to kids? So I And I'm not any more than anyone else, right? Like I remember middle school and I remember walking around constantly feeling like I was going to get beat up, like constantly. And I was cool and popular and got good grades and was successful on the wrestling mat. But I constantly felt like I was going to get beat up. And I, I had great, I have great parents and I was open to them and I would cry on their shoulders and I was never into drugs. I was never into drinking, 99% of kids are. So I felt like a loner. And I connect with that underdog, lonely, scared feeling. And I overcame it to do one of the scariest sports that exists, have some success in it. And it's like, man, if I can do that, if I can show these kids that I can do that, then they can do that. And I'm lucky because fighting is cool. UFC is cool. Jake Paul, Logan Paul, they're making fight, even though they're not mixed martial arts, you know, they're making it relevant to kids. And so it's like, I, I have this thing and this deep rooted feeling of wanting to help underdogs. And so uh, that, that's, and I was a teacher and I understand schools and I understand teachers and principals and, you know, so that's what draws me there.
1: Yeah, if I had someone like you or remotely close to these people that we put on a pedestal coming down to my school and just humanizing things for me, yeah, that would have been a game changer. Especially like middle school, you're doing elementaries or also middle schools as well. Mostly middle and high school. Middle and high school. Okay. Yeah, for me, and I I would imagine too, I mean, high school, well, I went to an all guys high school, but high school is challenging. But man, those middle school years, that was hands down the most challenging and the most, when I had the most self-confidence issues, self-esteem issues, comparing to other kids, doubts. When you're talking to these kids, I imagine some of them are pulling you aside. What have you seen in terms of the impact that you've had? Or how are these guys now living differently?
0: What come, what what arises in your mind? So it it just so happens. All right. I'm at my, at my desk and I have, um, I've written these with my business partner. We've created these young reader books and, uh, I have kids reach out to me, say all kinds of things. how it's helped them in one way or another. I talk about my brother who has brain cancer and I get a lot of, of stuff from kids. You know, I lost my grandma. I lost my dad. Um, I got one today that said I've, I've changed a lot about myself because of what people say. And I've given up on my goals because I didn't think I could achieve them. Um, and I didn't even try. And I appreciate you sharing my story and and showing that you can. Here's one that says, uh, Hey, your speech really left a mark on me. Usually I don't really pay attention to assemblies, but the fight video at the beginning made me pay attention because I do martial arts. Anyway, I love how you worded your speech. Eighth grade has been really rough for me and I've been bullied a lot. Just knowing other people have been going through what I've been through and seeing them make it gives me a little hope. Another one, you went out of your way to come to our little school and give it your all on the speech. I'll definitely take your advice and execute what you've said to the best of my ability. So there's all kinds to hear that even people as big as you get hate as well. And you overcame it opened my eyes. Thank you so much. You really helped me a lot. So it's like, you know, I'm not able to talk to anyone about my personal issues, but everything you were talking about today at the assembly struck something in me. I aspire to be something great in the future, even though there may be obstacles in the way I once heard a quote. It only takes one person to tell you to be great for you to realize you can do anything. I heard that from a show I watched and I just like to say, you are the one who's inspiring me to be great. (laughs) So it's like, I get nervous. I get nervous as heck doing these things, man, because I'm going there and with this like, um, you know, self negative self-talk or like, who am I to be doing this? You know, I'm going there thinking like, why are they even going to care? Because to me, it's everyday stuff. It's my life. It's whatever. Yesterday, there were 656th through 12th graders in this gymnasium. I was in Michigan and it was hot. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I see these kids rolling in and I'm getting nervous. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I hope everything's all right. I hope the PowerPoint, the audio, and I'm like, blah, 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 And you just never know how it's going to go because, I mean, get 800 middle schoolers in a room and it's it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, it could go any direction. But, <laughs> you know, but I'm I'm confident in what I do and I I go with it and, you know. So yeah,
1: <laughs> what was uh, and I'm curious if there's a parallel to fighting in this. But what are you learning about yourself now, and maybe also when that you discovered about yourself when you were fighting and you were scared and you had all these doubts? What are you learning about yourself now that might be different from when you were fighting, or is it very similar? What what's what's new for you right now, or what? Yeah,
0: I think it's kind of an evolution of maybe just maturity. Like, there's a a couple of things, but one, in order to change a habit, you know, you have a behavior that you want to change, and then you have an aspired to behavior, and then you're acting the wrong way, but aspiring to the right way. And then there's a step in that process where you like intentionally, cognitively say, No, I'm not going to do that bad thing. I'm going to do this thing I want to do. Like, there's like a, like, you make the decision, and then you just seamlessly do the new habit. Right? There's like that gradual process of change. And I think for me, I'm getting to the end point of really and truly realizing that people are people and nobody deserves anything at all. Like you're a human. Uh, the, Jason Momoa is a human. Uh, Brett Favre is a human. Tom, they're they're humans. Lady Gaga, she's a woman. Like it's just for people. And COVID, COVID really had a profound effect on me in realizing that that people are people. The government are people, just like me. So I can do anything that anyone can do. And I'm really starting to believe that and, and live it more, more fully and, I think, integritously like more holy than I ever have before. And to break through to a kid at a young age and open that thread up for them for the rest of their life, that, hey, I mean, in a, a respectful way, Charlie's no, I'm nothing. I'm a human. You eighth grader, I was you. And you can do anything and you can be anything. And and at the end, end of that is, it's also reassuring things I've always done making the hard choices, being extremely disciplined, being extremely consistent, continuing to learn and grow, uh, trying to improve my weaknesses. You know, all the stuff that directly or indirectly I share with the kids.
1: You know, you shared earlier, it's tough for you to relate to someone who's maybe falls off the wagon. But I imagine there's many people that are in that position. So when you're faced with that or faced with a young man or young, young girl, how do you support them or meet them where they're at, where they're doing, they want to change, but they they keep falling back?
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll take this like personally with my my family. You know, it's it's being a parent, as you're learning and you'll continue to learn, it's really stinking hard. When I was fighting, my mantra was what would Frankie do? Frankie Edgar, you know, a tremendous fighter, tremendous human being, mentor to me, friend to me. I mean, he was it. You, 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 Frankie did everything that anyone should ever do to be the best. And that was my standard. That was it. My, what would Frankie do? Would Frankie get up and go? Yeah, then get up and go. That was it. So my standard is Frankie Edgar, which is like a really high stinking standard. So in terms of having to release this, like, probably pressure that I put on other people, on my kids who are little on my wife who operates differently than i operate uh it takes a lot of practice and it it takes a lot of you know uh, the the philosophical stuff that i i read about and or the 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 behavior the self improvement stuff of of Being aware of the fact that, Charlie, you have to pause, you have to take a step back, you have to not say what you want to say, and you have to be supportive and encouraging. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the students that I interact with, I don't deal with that because I'm in that day, correspond on social media a bit, and then, you know, sparse communication from there. But it's especially challenging with people in my circle and in my life. Um, And that's a, a... continuous process that I feel like I'm improving, but I mean, I'm not there by any means.
1: Yeah. And if, if I could ask you, where do you imagine that comes from within you? Like that inability to, to, uh, maybe like let go of control or to that fear of like, what, what would happen to Charlie if you let yourself go like where does that come from
0: yeah so the control thing that you just mentioned um and I, i'm i'm i guess we're going to get kind of deep now but so fear going back to being a kid feeling like i was going to get beat up all the time that fear i mean it had like negative manifestations like l- l- nervous tics n- noises head jerking like You know, a lot of anxiety stuff, but also drove me, you know, and it's, you know, like use hate as fuel or use angle anger as fuel. But it really evolved naturally into the other side of that where I kind of don't operate with the fear, but operate with the like, oh, I don't, it was like I started to develop confidence in myself. Hmm and fighting and learning the skill of fighting the art of fighting. And then it was like, I was afraid, but it wasn't the same type of drive that I used to have before. Now it was like, I'm afraid of fist fighting and I better train my ass off or I'm going to get hurt. It wasn't like much deeper than that. It was, it was train like I've never trained before because this sport is a lot rougher than wrestling mm. and wrestling. I could lose and not, die. You know, I could lose and not get fractured bones left and right. Fighting was another level of seriousness that it drove me to train at a level that I never trained at before, which then enabled me to perform at a level I never trained at before. And it wasn't like the doubt went away. I mean, I could have probably won fights if my mind would have been better, you know, but it didn't hold me back nearly as much as it did in wrestling and life. And what was your question, or what would happen if I released it?
1: yeah, what would happen if 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 you released it and how would life be different? What do you imagine?
0: I think life would be a lot better, and it's funny you know I look at change, you know the habit change, right, but also like the 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 neural pathway change, the way you think, reframing uh I read about therapy often um CBT and, and reframing how you look at things. And I realized, I would say in the last two months, I carry a lot of stress, right? my young, I have two little kids. They fight a lot. <laughs> you know, m- marriage is not easy. It's very difficult. And so I just carry stress. I have like weird psychological whatevers that probably linger from making weight in wrestling and fighting. Um, in wrestling, we would simply say like, oh, I'm fat, I'm fat today. And that just means you got to lose a couple pounds because you ate a lot. But I still say that to myself, like I'm fat today, I'm fat. And it probably has a negative effect on me. And so I'm getting to the point where I'm realizing, Jesus, man, if you just like shit that stuff out or like threw it in the garbage can, you'd be a lot more peaceful. <laughs> and so I'm getting... I I really and truly feel like in six months from now, maybe a year from now, I won't carry that baggage. And I think I'll be a lot more peaceful. Like the whole, the art of living and home, I'm really starting to buy into that stuff because I realize, holy smokes, man, all the 90% of the conflict that I have is from my brain. That's it.
1: And for so many people as well, right? Like our the toughest critic always is going to be our own inner critic. And one of these days, we're going to get you to the retreat because it's uh, it would be great to drop in with you in that setting. And
0: <laughs> it's neat too, Mike, because you and I are, are, you know, we're we're friends, but we're also very different. Uh, both in the way we train, I think I I train like at an insane level of intensity and blah blah like wrestling, fighting, never die, Rocky Balboa but I am really opening my eyes to this softer way of life that I think is a lot more peaceful. And my brother, my oldest brother who, who has brain cancer right now, I mean, he's kind of on the same path and I'm looking at him and you know, I look at other people who I really think are happy. And I, I, you know, you mentioned control earlier, but I like the word surrender. It sounds maybe foo-foo, but it's like, man, i pretty sure that would be pretty awesome to just let let go, you know, let go and let God is what my mom used to say when we were little.
1: Absolutely. And and for me personally, what's really teaching me that in real time is my son, is Luca. It's like, I mean, in so many ways, but I have these plans, all these plans to work to crush, you know, get up early, and then all of a sudden literally i don't even get to half of a text message out because he requires so much and he lo- you know he loses it and cry all that sort of stuff and so for me i'm brought every single day with a guy i need to surrender to what is right now and the amount of work that i was doing before is not going to happen but then also what he's and i and i've shared this i think on a few podcasts before but brother It is amazing when I hold him and I imagine my little Mikey as a boy, and then even imagine my dad as a boy and holding myself and holding him and connecting, dude. It's been so healing on so many levels. It's blown me away.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you what I'm dealing with. My kids are soon, well, just turned set. They're both September birthdays. So they're three years apart, though, seven. And then she'll turn 10 here in a couple of weeks. Letting go, surrendering, releasing yourself. Um, I just read a book, two books. One's called The Courage to Be Disliked, and the other one's called The Courage to Be Happy. And I think it's the happy one. Like love people as they are, meet them where they are, right? So I have big hopes and dreams for my kids. I have big hopes and dreams that they're gonna get on the path and they're gonna. Train and love and learn and read and f- fight figuratively or literally, and they're going to strive for greatness. And so, when they're upstairs watching TV, I'm I'm sitting there and I get stressed in the back of my neck because I'm like in my head, I'm like, it's not how champions are made. Oh, we can't be about, but and then I'm like, Charlie, you, you literally used to put six teaspoons of sugar in your Rice Krispies up until you were like sixteen. So, what are you talking about, buddy? So, it's very hard. Because you want to pass on your what I love and what I value. I would love for my kids to love and value what I love and value so we can do it together and I can show them the path and I can show them the way and teach them. But I also got to accept, maybe they're going to hate sports. Maybe they're going to hate books. Maybe they're going to want to live a simple life and not strive. They're just going to be happy and content, whatever. That's really hard to surrender to. And that's something that I'm, again, actively day in and day out doing my best to do.
1: Yeah. I love and appreciate that, man. Thank you for sharing. Curious, what would you say in your, your mind, and your heart, what's the role of the father or what's the role that you play as a father in your boy's life?
0: I kind of think more than anything, a teacher, a supporter, encourager. Uh, you know, when I, I'll say a prayer or I'll think about it. I'll, I'll, say something like, uh, you know, help me help them be what they're supposed to be. Um, help me be a better father to them. Love encouragement. So uh, if I had to boil it down, it, it either be something like teacher, guider, supporter, and encourager, those things. Um, you know, I was watch, I got into a series recently. It's called Lioness. It's on Paramount. It's really good. Um, uh, Zoe Saldana's in it, and it's uh, like special ops. And it's really timely because her daughter is just making poor choices. Poor choices. She's spiteful. She's mean. Teenage girl, just totally sticking it to her parents. Something terrible happens. The mom says the grounding is over. The consequences is over. Life just took a big bite out of you. Now I'm just going to be a person who gives you advice. And I think like I'm aligning to a degree with that understanding that, you know, my daughter's 10. She's making choices. I'm telling her things. She's going to make her choices and I have to like convey to her your choices are going to have consequences and they're going to be real and you have to be prepared for that. So that, that idea of guider, teacher, supporter, encourager, you know, those are the things that come to my mind most.
1: Yeah, and, and how old? So you have a son and a daughter. Uh, how old are they?
0: She's about to be 10 and he is seven. Okay. So fourth and first grade. So I w- have you heard of
1: the book called, uh, I think it's called The Soul of Discipline, not Soulful Discipline, but The Soul of Discipline?
0: I have not, but probably get it if you recommend it. Uh, I got to read it
1: again a second time because it was so profound for me and it's been probably, I think, almost two years since I read it. So I'll do the best to, to remember, but it really, it really struck a chord in me. And it was this, there's basically three phases in, they were talking about parents, but I'm just going to relate this to fatherhood. In the beginning years, and I don't even know what their, their range was, but let's say maybe zero to seven, I don't know, one to seven. In the beginning years, we act as the governor. We act giving them boundaries, letting them know so they can actually have a reference point. Oh shit, the stove's hot. Don't fucking touch the stove. The fire's over there. So we can basically keep them safe, especially as they're learning. Because when an infant's born, they really, especially, and I'm getting to witness this firsthand, when Luca was born, he was, he thought, I imagine, that he was mom, that there was no difference between him, mom, and the world around him. Mm -hmm. But it was only as he starts his nervous system and he starts maturing, he starts identifying objects and that there's a separation between him and other things. Mm -hmm. And he starts this process of maturity and growth. So in the beginning years, as the infant is learning or as the the young child is learning, we act the role primarily, primarily as the governor. And then it transitions into the gardener. Where we begin nourishing and like watering those seeds that we've planted. And they start coming up with their own preferences and things that they like. And then later in life, I don't even know if it was like high school or after high school or something like that, but it was our role is to become the guide. Now hopefully they have enough base. We've set those those frameworks that we've protected them. We've given them a safe home. We've gardened and then. So that's something that I've been reflecting on um, and just really felt true, and I'm always curious with with fathers that I love respect. What does it really mean to them, and how how has fatherhood changed for you in the way that you were raised compared to how you are also now raising your kids? Or anything that sticks out there?
0: Well, I want to jump into what you just said. So, uh, Mister Rogers, I think it's called The Good Neighbor. It's a biography. He didn't write it, but it's written about him. Tremendous book, but his. F- kind of first mentor role model when it comes to child psychology, I think her name is Dr. Um, Anna McFarland or something like that. She referred to it as a guided drift. So if you can imagine a river and you can imagine like one of the, those like simple canoe type things where you're standing and you have a pole and you're like touching the bottom uh, Think of the Amazon or something. And you're, you know, like not paddling, but sticking and moving through the water. And, uh, the guided drift was this idea that as a mentor, as a parent, or as a guide, you're keeping them within the river, but you're allowing them to go like from side to side within the boundaries of that river. So, you know, like I can't let you die. I can't let you go to jail. You know, I can't let you this. So we're going to keep you within that river. And I think that's a really cool idea. And that's something that stuck with me. What I can't wait for is I hope I raise my kids. So that we're best friends. Mm -hmm. So that when they're teenagers, we're best friends. I think that's got to be one of the coolest things ever. To have your kids think you're cool, not whatever, but as they think their friends are cool. To be a, a peer as much as that guide. In terms of parenting, so my daughter specifically, I've heard people say this. A lot easier for me to connect with my son than it is for my daughter. Because all I have to say, I mean, hey, dad, can we throw football? The kid loves sports, <laughs> lives and dies. So, yeah, let's go do whatever you want, right? My daughter, as a girl, she likes different things. hers, field hockey, basketball, running. I hope she pursues running so we can run together. Right? But that's like one of my hopes for her that I'm trying not to push on her. But I often wonder, and my, my daughter is really drawn to my wife. And so from a parenting perspective, I'm trying to reflect and remember, like, what role did my dad play and what role did my mom play? Because my daughter is drawn to my wife almost exclusively for most things. My son is all about me when it comes to play and fun and all about her when it comes to mommy stuff. And so I try to think back and reflect, like, what role did my, like, how was my dad and my sister? What role did they, how were they when we were little? And what did I look to my dad for? Did I hug my dad? Did I hug my mom? And I come from a family where my friends used to make fun of me and say the, the Brennan's kiss for everything, right? Cause we're always hugging and kiss. My mom is Italian. So I don't know if your family's like that or not, but it's hugging and kissing constantly. And so that's how we grew up. But I reflect back and I wonder, my parents were very direct, open conversation about everything. And so I got very comfortable with that. And so I am parenting in that way. And it makes my daughter for sure uncomfortable about emotions, talking about emotions, verbalizing emotions makes her uncomfortable. So I got to kind of play that a little bit kind of more carefully than I'd like to because I'm very direct. But I also think to myself, and I've said it to my dad, Dad, I don't know how you didn't tear your eyeballs out because this is the hardest freaking thing ever. (laughs) And my dad is not the most patient person in the world. So kudos to him for staying how he stayed because it is really freaking hard being a parent.
1: Dude, no, no doubt, man. Being a parent. uh, I mean, and, and on the flip side of it, it's also infinitely more. It's added infinitely more than I could have ever imagined and experienced. And like now I really can't imagine my life any other way. And there are moments where I am just like taken to my edge. So tired and screaming and like there's a a whole laundry list of responsibilities actually and it it has been a stretch man it has definitely been a stretch
0: just wait until like you get to a point where you start feeling emotions that aren't lovey-dovey and you're like how am i feeling this am i a terrible person and then it's like They're doing the exact thing that I asked them not to do. And they're doing it right to my face. And I want to scream and I want to explode, but I shouldn't, but I can't. And then sometimes you do. And then you're just like, am I screwing my kids up? It's a constant. I'm not trying to shed a cloud here over parenting, but it is really freaking hard. And I think people should talk a lot more about how hard marriage is and how hard parenting is. Because I'm a really freaking disciplined person. But this shit is hard.
1: Would you mind unpacking that a little bit more? And only obviously as much or as little as you'd like to share. But what about maybe marriage being a parent now and being to your kids? What is maybe the two bigger challenges that, that come up?
0: Yeah, so I'll speak generally. You know, we have kids that are in elementary school. So we hang out with other parents who are our age. And we're going through the same stuff, right? Growing apart. Right, you get married when you're 25 or 30. You you grow and you evolve and you, uh, you just grow apart. You're not interested in the same things. Having alone time, not only just intimate alone time, but just alone time, is very difficult. The amount of responsibility when you get married, it's you and your wife, and then maybe you get a dog, and then you have a kid, and then you have another kid. And then maybe you have another kid and then you have your jobs and then you have the lawn and then you have your, right before I jop, jumped on this call the knob fell off the tub, the spigot in the bathtub. And then you have 10,000 other, and then your washer breaks and you're on vacation and you got to worry about how you're going to fix your washer when you get home. So that's it. Like your your pie chart of life becomes exponentially more cluttered and busy and I'm a person who cuts the shit out. Like I, I don't do things I don't want to do. There's a little bit of nuance there, but I focus on my main things and then I say no to the other stuff. Mm. Even with that, there's so much clutter. So th- th- those are some of the ways that marriages become, and then you got to worry about bills and dishes. I don't care about dishes. I really don't care. My wife really cares about dishes. So you got to figure it out. So that's like a really little thing that you just got in-laws. And again, I'm not just saying this. I'm not talking about me in its entirety right now. I'm saying other families that we interact with, these are the conversations that we hear. In terms of parenting, what was the question you asked? What's difficult?
1: Yeah, what is the one or two challenges if you were to unpack a a little further?
0: I think... I have to remind myself I'm dealing with a 10-year-old brain and I'm dealing with a seven-year-old brain. The baggage that I carry, the experience, wisdom, pathological thinking patterns, they don't have that. I have that. So when I say, hey, why did you just do that? I asked you not to do it. And they say, I don't know. And I say, you need to explain it. And they say, I don't know they might not really know. (laughs) Like, they just might not know. And I have to remind myself of that. They're 10. She's 10. He's 7. He's crying like a baby because he's (laughs) 7. And his leg is cut. Like, that's part of being a 7-year-old kid. So that's been a huge thing for me is remembering and reminding that they are kids with their kid brain
1: how have you been able to support yourself further when that stuff comes up so you just shared you know putting yourself maybe in their shoes and and reconciling that okay these are actual kids they don't have the front of their brain super developed yet what else in those times of immense stress and in those times where you're like holy shit, i've got a million and one things to do i don't have time for this And they literally turn the other way when you tell them to do something that you know is in their best interest. How have you and or your partner, your wife, how do you manage that in the heat of it? Or what have you found to work?
0: So the first answer to this question is the same thing people tell me. How do you get through the fear right before your fight? Okay? You don't get through it right before your fight. You get through it in the preparation that leads up to your fight. So that when I'm standing across from Anthony Johnson, I actually believe I can beat them. I didn't just eat like shit, train like shit, and then get to that cage and think I'm going to win. If that's your game, I'm not your guy to give you advice because I have no idea. So in those moments, first, I go back to how I live my life, the habits that I have. I'm very into training. I'm very into nutrition. I love sitting in the sauna. I started doing the cold plunge stuff a year or so ago. I do that stuff. I'll say every day. I read all the time. I read about stuff that fits into the type of person I want to be, the type of dad I want to be, that the, the temperance that I want to have, that the the self-restraint that I want to have. So I do the physical and the the mental stuff, always keeping that that like vision of who I want to be in my brain. That's all like the prep work. And then in the moment. I think self-awareness and presence and intentionality is so huge that, I don't know, maybe I bet 500, maybe 50% of the time I screw it up and 50% of the time I show restraint. But what really helps me is like remembering, oh, when I yelled at the top of my lungs and my daughter started crying, I felt like an absolute pile of dog shit. And I don't want to feel like that. And I don't want her to feel like that about me. And so, like, right at that inflection point is where you either shit or get off the pot. You either make the change and don't do the yelling, or you do it knowing you're going to feel like shit again. If my wife and I argue, I'll say, Hey, I'm just not going to talk anymore. And (laughs) I say that. Because I know if I keep talking, I'm going to say sh- stuff that you're not going to like and it's just going to keep escalating. It doesn't work because in those heated moments, it has gotten to a point where she's not okay with me saying, okay, I'm just not going to talk anymore. I should have said that 30 minutes ago or I shouldn't have said the thing that I said to start that thread of unpleasantness. So it's the, the prep work, how I live my life, the habits. And then just really being on top. I'm I'm obsessed, kind of neurotic about who I want to be and what I want to be. And so it's always top of mind. And so in those heated moments, even if I'm being an asshole, I'm aware of the fact that I'm being an asshole. That's the middle part of that habit change because I used to not know I was an asshole. But now I know I'm an asshole and I'm still striving to not be an asshole. So then... Soon is going to come the, hey, Charlie, you're about to be an asshole. Don't do it. Okay. And then soon I just hopefully won't be an asshole.
1: Well, I think that's such an important thing because what happens in these situations when we're pushed to a limit and we either are about to explode or explode or get reactive, you're not dealing with 42 Charlie. You're dealing with literally seven-year-old Charlie you know, whatever the trigger is, we age regress in those moments. And so sometimes the best medicine for the entire situation is to pause, take a breath, and either revisit it later or do whatever you need to do to give yourself the time and the space for you to be with yourself. Otherwise, it's like two seven-year-olds or two 10-year-olds going at each other. Uh, And so that awareness piece is so important. And I think it's like, how can we develop that awareness and then catch ourselves in the act? And when we can, it's this repetitive process of catch ourselves in the act, catch ourselves in the act. And when we do, then we, and we get, when we get better at it, we can get more dialed in with the choice, which may just be like you're saying, take the space, don't say anything. Or it may be now's an opportunity for me to respond differently. Or maybe now I'm just going to reflect back what my wife said and vice versa so that she feels like I actually heard her and I wasn't just keeping my mouth shut and judging the shit out of her. So that is, I think, the process for all of us is being aware of those patterns that oftentimes we learned in childhood that served a purpose that helped us get our needs met in childhood, but then also now as adults actually not being five-year-olds in 42-year-old meat suits. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's that process. And I think that's what a lot of us are here to do if if we're on this path of of growth and,
0: and that. And that's why reading is so important. I feel like everyone should exercise and everyone should read because you take a book like Extreme Ownership you take a book like Untethered Soul. You take a book like The Happiness Hypothesis. You take a book like The Curse to Be Dislike. You take these books, and what you do is every day you're putting that topic front of mind. Right. So right now, right now I'm reading uh one of Ryan Holiday's books about stoic philosophy. But every morning, like that's that's my that's a focus of my day. And it reminds me, this is the person I want to be like. So it's like you have this. You know, how they, they they make statues, you know, you're like chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. I'm I'm keeping that vision of who I want to be. I'm doing the physical habits, the, the the exercise, et cetera. I'm doing the the brain stuff, keeping it center of mind who I want to be. And then that gives you the awareness to make that call in the heat of battle, like you're saying. But if you don't do it, then you're just kind of like virtue. You know, you're not, you've actually got to do the work. You've got to do the thing. You've got to shut your mouth. You've got to show restraint.
1: Charlie, as we kind of bring this to a close, there's one, there's actually, there's a lot more questions I want, want to ask, but I also want to be mindful of our time. When, when it comes to reading, you've read a lot of books, you're a teacher, and you do a lot of podcasts on books. What's maybe your, your biggest tip or strategy to actually get the most out of what you read? Because if, if I were to show you, I've got a shit ton of books in my office, right? I've read a fair bit of them. But I, I could probably tell you the general theme of the book or maybe one central idea. But when I'm going through it, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden it goes away. So how can we actually not just spend time reading, but actually like utilize what, what have you found in that regard?
0: So I, I take it slow. I'm not a fast reader. I highlight the shit and I kind of I, I do have a system for how I highlight. It changes a little bit, but I know what it means. When I was in uh, ninth grade biology, I had a a girlfriend at the time and she was super smart and she knew I was not really into biology and I was not very smart biology. (laughs) And she showed me this strategy where she would just rewrite her notes literally five times. So if you had four pages of notes, she would write four pages of notes five times right? And it's just repetition into your brain, into your brain, into your brain. And it's amazing how it works. Pain in the ass takes forever, but you retain a lot of it. I'm kind of like that with books in that when I read it, I take it slow. I highlight. If I find a line that I highlight, as I'm going back to the beginning of that sentence and highlighting, I'm reading it for a second time. So like I read it once and then I'm going back and I'm highlighting and I'm reading it as I'm highlighting. So that's double reading it. And then I create podcasts where I talk about the books and. What happens is they just, they soak into your brain. It's, it really is osmosis or repetition. And so I retain it a lot of books from that system, reading slow, highlighting, talking about the books and then touching on what you said, maybe a main theme will stay with you. You know, when I give talks, I know what I'm going to say to a point. I have the same PowerPoint. I have different influences that day, that week, that period of my life. But I figure whatever I'm meant to say is going to come out of my mouth. So any references that I made during this podcast, I didn't think about, I didn't plan, they just came out of my mouth. So if you kind of release the pressure a little bit and say what I'm supposed to retain from this book, I'm going to retain from this book. Courage to be disliked, the courage to to be happy. One main theme is don't interfere in other people's tasks. Right, Mike, whether you like me or not, that's your task. That's for you to decide. I can't worry about your task of whether you're going to, like me, whether you're going to help me, whether you're going to call me, that's your thing. I got to worry about my thing. The other one about meeting people where they are, except like, you know, they stuck with me for a reason. Two lines. One is from Phil Knight's shoe dog. Uh, he said the best piece of advice that he could give is just keep going, don't stop. So this is Phil Knight, guy who created Nike. Just keep going, don't stop. I say that, repeat that more than any other quote. And then from Marcus Aurelius, the meditations book. This one is especially timely of of who I want to be and and what I waste my time ruminating upon. It's a treat what you don't have as non-existent. Look at what you have, the things you value most, and think of how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. So all of these things you want, but you don't have, treat them as non-existent. Look at what you have. What do I have, Gracie and Rocky, my kids? (sighs) Thinking how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. If I didn't have them, I'd be the fucking worst thing in the world. I have them. (laughs) So then it takes this feeling of want and whatever to like, oh, thank God I have my kids. That's why I read and that's why I do what I do.
1: Hell yeah, brother. Thank you for sharing that last piece. That's, uh, that's that last one by Aurelius. That's going to stick with me for sure, my man. So thank you. And brother so good senior. We didn't even talk about this, but this is actually the second time that we've podcasted together. The first time never made it out it was like five years ago, which is a whole comedic story. Uh, dude, I'm so grateful for your time and your energy. I had to drop that in there. You know, we still crack up about that on the side. Uh, but brother, where can people find you uh, if they want to reach out? Anything that you're up to, please drop it.
0: Yeah, I'll put this out there first. Anything I say can be found on my website and that is com. My fight name is a Spaniard. So I have two podcasts. One is called The Spaniard Show in which I do book reviews, interviews, and solo sodes. The other one is called Spaniard School. It is for middle school and high schoolers. I talk about you know resilience, perseverance, choices, et cetera. I have several young reader books, eight to 18 years old. One is nonfiction based on my life. We have three coming out. Well, two that are out, another one coming soon that are fiction based on my story. And it's uh, kind of like a life skills series for for students and or for parents to use with kids. And uh, at Charlie Spaniard on social media. So the books, the podcasts, charliespaniard.com, you can find it all. And if you're interested in bringing me into your school, I'd love to do it. I travel all over the country. I'll be in California. I'll be in your neck of the woods on... Uh, Monday.
1: All right, Charlie. Well, thank you so much again, brother. Appreciate you, my man. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Mike.
1: Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.